This is Brian Jodis, and you're listening to the PEFNC Podcast. This is Brian Jodis with Parents for Educational Freedom in North Carolina. I'm joined today by Rebecca Dees. Uh, Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk a little bit about your son, Gabe, uh, his educational journey, which has led you to uh, some scholarships that we have available here in the state of North Carolina uh, for students with disabilities. Uh, But first and foremost, Rebecca, just tell us a little bit about Gabe. All right. Um, Well, Gabe is nine years old. He's in fourth grade this year. Um, He happens to be what we call a twice exceptional learner. Um, He's academically gifted, but he also happens to have other exceptionalities um, or disabilities. So he happens to be autistic and he also has a learning disability or a writing expression disability, dysgraphia, which makes it hard for him to physically handwrite. Um, So he has to use a lot of uh, adaptive equipment like a computer to write his stuff, which has kind of led us to look for alternative learning options for him because he doesn't quite fit into a box for either special education or a regular generic classroom. So what's his educational journey been like then? Because what you talk about, right, is sort of this desire or looking for an individualized plan for him, a way to kind of meet him at his needs, those exceptional needs, right? And every kid is is different. And of course, uh, they all have unique needs uh, along the way. So so for him to date, what, what has that journey look like? I would care to bet it's been met with challenges and frustrations along the way. What's it been like? Yes, it it certainly has. It's it's been interesting and I've learned a lot along the way, um, which has led me to advocacy for other Mm -hmm. students like him. Um, So we started out homeschooling when Gabe was really young. Um, He was hyperlexic. He taught himself to read. Um, So he just kind of gradually moved into that role of learning everything that he could. Um, when he got about kindergarten, first grade age, we started to notice that he really wanted to be around other friends. Um, so we went and tried to enroll him in our local public school and get him an individualized education plan um, to accommodate some of his other needs. Um, we found that the regular school system in our area wasn't really set up for exceptional students like him. Mm-hmm. If it was him just being gifted or him just having the other needs, you know, they could kind of find a place for him. Um, But for a student like him, there really was no place for him. Um, So we came across a new school that was being built in Huntersville, North Carolina, um, specifically for students on the spectrum without learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. So students who would formerly maybe be known as Asperger's or high functioning autistic. Um, They don't use those terms anymore. It's just autism. Um, And the school was just about to get built um, or renovated to to be open for the students. And that was it was just the perfect answer Mm -hmm. to what we were looking for. They offered smaller class sizes. Um, They were sensory friendly, even down to the type of lighting that they use. Um, The the thing was that it's, you know, it's expensive. Um, It's a little bit more expensive than a regular private school because it is, you know, geared towards special needs students. And just like with the district schools, special needs students get more funding per pupil. Mm -hmm. Um, So that led us to um, looking into what scholarships are available for North Carolina. And we found that we had three programs that we could try to qualify for. So we've got those. Yeah. So we've got those scholarships here in North Carolina and, you know, our organization, Parents for Educational Freedom, uh, believes that families, regardless of where you live or how much money you make, should be able to get access to the school that is the best fit for their child. And the conversation that we've been having here, and I know one that you've lived, 
is that is is let's find what's best for the ultimate end user here in this whole education ecosystem, which is the student and, and finding the place that is the right fit for them. And also knowing that no maker model is ever going to be the perfect right fit for every student. And, and, and honestly, you can uh, allocate every resource into public education, public charter education, private education. It still isn't going to make it the right fit for every kid. So in North Carolina, we have three programs, Opportunity Scholarship Program, we have the Children with Disabilities Grant, we have Special Needs ESA. The latter of those two are for exceptional students with special needs. And so that's the area where you guys fall into. Uh, I know from having spoken with you and, and seeing the way that you've advocated for your son, you had some challenging waters navigating the special needs program. So based on his needs, and where you guys were, where did you fall in that ecosystem of those two programs and, and getting access to them? Yeah, so initially to qualify, you have to have your individualized education plan. So the first fight was trying to get the school to actually give him an IEP yeah. or individualized yeah. education plan. What was that, um, before we get too far into it, uh, what was that like? Because I've heard parents say the word you just said, the fight, what it's like yes. to go get that. What's the, for, for folks who don't know, or maybe have heard IEP, uh, individualized education plan, what goes into even obtaining one of those? Because you would think, well, I just go to my local public school, we're able to get one for my, my son or my daughter, and we kind of move on. What's it really like? Well, we even had a private evaluation from a educational neuropsych or psychologist prior. Um, mm -hmm. This stated all of his disabilities, um, all of his requirements, what he would need for accommodations. Um, and it was still a fight with the school system because Gabe was twice exceptional. His academic needs weren't as great. So he was a grade level ahead in all of his subjects. Right. Um he he didn't really struggle in that sense, but everything that it took for him to be able to get to that point in a classroom. So having his sensory needs met, having adaptive equipment like a laptop mm -hmm. to use to type, um, they didn't feel that his needs were severe enough, according to them, to even qualify for an IEP in the first place. Um, so that that took a lot of fighting and a really amazing speech therapist that went to bat for him in the system. Mm -hmm. um, so we did eventually just get that paper that we needed to even qualify for the scholarships. Um, and then once we finally applied, we found that there um, there's a tiered application system for those, right. those programs. Um, first tier being those who had already received one the previous year, second tier being active duty military, and also those who are still enrolled in a public school. And this is mm -hmm. kind of where it gets tricky for, for people like us um, who were currently homeschooling at the time and now private schooling is that we fall into the tier three category, meaning he's at the very bottom of the list um, for the help that he needs. So we are going on year three as of last week applying, um, hoping that we get a scholarship this year. So we've been denied the previous two years, I think um, mostly things... due to the tier system, not having yeah. enough funding for everyone. I think one of the things that we've been trying to work here as an organization, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk today was was to walk through what those tiers look like and to think through uh, how we might be able to reform those, change those, make those a little bit better, expand them, make them, make them more welcoming for families. I mean, here's the scenario, Rebecca, and I know that you know this having lived it. Um, you, you run out of options. You, you have no choice. No one knows your kid like you do. 
right? Uh, don't don't tell me that they need X, Y, or Z based on an evaluation. You know, I, I know what this young man needs, mm-hmm. but but then to get to a point where you're like I, I've got to remove him out of one maker model or system, and I've got to put him in to this school, and and if you're unable to get access to a scholarship because of that, that's something we we've got to take a look at, uh, and something we've got to to consider. So you you've you've know this is a a need you have. You've been unable to qualify in the past based on that tiered system. And then we get to 2020 and the world becomes a totally different place. Uh, And COVID changes many things and impacts us in many ways. But what it also does is it provides some additional resources at our state level to be able to create some new scholarship opportunities. And so we go back to September 2020, and we're standing on the grounds of the General Assembly in Raleigh, and we've got all these families in to advocate for students like yours, and there you are. And so so give us some info about, you know, what happened last year that then helped you guys elevate out of that tier three spot to get access to a program like this. Yes, of course. That was such an important day. Um, I wanted to make sure that I was there in person because it affected our family directly. Um, They were voting that day to pass extra funding out of the the COVID relief funds to um, help students that were waitlisted for those two Mm -hmm. um, exceptional children's scholarship programs. Um, So that morning I drove, I live in Salisbury, so I drove from Salisbury to Huntersville to drop Gabe off at school, which is about a 40 minute drive. And then I went straight from Huntersville to Raleigh that morning so I could be there. Um, and I was there with many other families and um, leaders from other schools, like the ones that he attends, mm-hmm. um, just to be there in person to show them that, you know, we're real people and um, and our kids are worthy. They're deserving of the help. And so they, they passed it that day. Um, and Gabe was able to get a partial scholarship for the fall semester, which was amazing. Um, on top of, you know, we had to fundraise this past year sure. online, a GoFundMe to try to raise enough money just to send him back to school. And in every year, it's a struggle not knowing whether he can go back and be with his friends or if he's going to be, you know, stuck back at home having to homeschool again. Just um, you think back on it and uh, just so grateful for the leadership in the General Assembly who pushed hard on that. Many members were and and many of them came out on that day, hot day, hot September day, came out to see us. And as we had folks out there and uh, was grateful for Senator Ballard being a part of that, Uh, former Lieutenant Governor Forrest was a part of that. And then the legislature, the legislator in the building that was really pushing hard for this was Senator Joyce Kravik. Who, who stepped up and, and helped through this process find six and a half million dollars in this COVID relief bill to dedicate towards these new scholarships. And so a thanks to her as well for pushing on this. And I know you echoed those sentiments. Uh, you know, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, where we've got to go next with those scholarships. Before we do that, what's this year been like for him? What, what is this in, in the time you've been able to have him in this setting that is the right fit for him? What what's that been like? What have you seen out of him over the last few years? It has been an amazing change. My son has friends now for the first time in his life. He's able to to have those social interactions um, that they train them for at school. They're mm-hmm. able to give them individualized um, social skills training in person every day in their situations. Um, so it's not. Um, you know, metaphorical. They they live, yeah. you know, their lives at school. It's a home away from home and they're learning all of these. That's why these it's necessary such an important place skills. for them to be, right? Like yes. in this whole and conversation we've been having is without that setting for him, it's such an important place to be. 
Yes. I mean, these are skills that he needs to learn for his life. And, you know, as much as I try at home homeschooling, I can't replicate those settings for him. Um, he really, he needed this school. And thankfully this year, they decided to open full-time in person five days a week because um, they understand how important it is for these kids to be there um, because it's, for them, they're more vulnerable, I think. And so they're more likely to backslide if if they're not with their, you know, their classmates and with their teachers every day. And so it's been more important this year, I think more than ever for our vulnerable students. Yeah, totally agree. So we still have work to be done though, right? So it's a good, yes. it's a good story so far, but we still have work to be done. And as we're in a legislative session in our state, and so for those listening, uh, you know, this is as laws are being amended or updated uh, and, and the members of our legislature are currently in Raleigh doing these things, uh, very incredibly important work. There's a couple of things that we want to try to get them to do related towards these scholarships. So that was one time COVID relief funding. So first yes. and foremost, we need our legislature to step up and, and go get that six and a half million dollars and make that recurring going in the future. So we've got a pot of money that's able to help families on these special needs scholarships. Well, now with these new opportunities, we've got to make sure that's there in the future, first and foremost, right? That's critically important. So uh, to our legislative leaders that are listening, we're asking you to, to help make that happen. To our parents that are listening, we're asking you to call your legislator and tell them, hey, we need to make sure that there's adequate funding for our students with special needs in private education that their parents are uh, are selecting for them. So that's important. The second thing is now that you've got access to the program, you actually have to go back this year and reapply for it versus just re-enrolling on it. And I know that's got to be a bit of a rub on that, right? Yes, um, it's going to affect a lot of those students who got that necessary funding, um, not just because they needed the funding also for spring semester. It's, you know, a full year of school. But now that they have to reapply for the scholarship for, for next year, for the 2021-22 year, um, they're going to go in as a tier three applicant. So they're going to be at the very bottom of the list now when they go to reapply, which means most likely they're going to have to return to whatever setting they were at before. And for a lot of those students, that means, you know, virtual learning through the district that may have not been working or um, like Gabe having to go back to homeschooling, which isn't always the best option for everyone. Um, but the big thing is it's not just about tuition for these private schools either. These, these scholarships help pay for therapies. They help right. pay for tutoring. And for a lot of our kids, like, you know, Gabe with his learning disabilities, they need that extra, that extra help. Um, and so these are so vitally important. We need to make sure that those students who receive those temporary grants receive priority this year. Totally agree. And it's something I know we're going to keep fighting and working hard on. What's uh, what's cool to see happen throughout this whole process is uh, you've you've always kind of felt this and, and dealt with it for your family. But it looks to me what I've seen, you've become a, a, a much more vocal advocate for not just your family, but for families across our state for access to not just these scholarship programs, but really to whatever a family feels like is the best option for their child. Um, That's right. How, how I'm you not your against- voice kind of elevated. I'm not against public schools. I'm not against any system. I believe that families know their children best mm -hmm. and that their funding should follow their students to whichever learning, you know, system works best for their kids. I I had to learn the hard way that not everything yeah. works for every child. And, you know, through those fights, I've really my heart's grown three sizes for families like mine um, because it is a fight just to get an equal education for a child. And equal isn't the same for everyone. 
Rebecca, we are so grateful for you taking a few minutes to share Gabe's story, to share your story, to maybe get some more families mobilized and advocating uh, for these incredibly powerful programs, and also for just lifting up your voice for families across our state. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. This is Brian Jodis. You've been listening to the PEFNC Podcast. <laughs>